We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Aitland is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house. And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He pounded Panthers fans, welcome back to the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. John Ellis, Billy Marshall. Man, we've got a good one today for you folks. Uh, we talked to Matt Bowen a couple weeks ago. His counterpart, Greg Cosell, the executive producer and co-host of ESPN NFL Matchup, is on the line with us. Greg, welcome to the show. John, I'm so glad you have me on. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me and thinking that my pointless point of view matters. <laughs> Nothing is pointless, my friend. <laughs> There's a lot of bad takes out there, folks. And they tell you, you want to watch a good football show. They don't air it often, and it's usually in the middle of the night, but it's uh, ESPN uh, NFL matchup. It's a great show. It gives you everything you need to know. And uh, Greg on Twitter at uh, Greg Cosell gives you great analysis. What a draft for Carolina. I mean, this was a fascinating draft leading up. A lot of conversation about potentially Justin Fields at quarterback. That obviously did not happen. Uh, and then he came really, quite, quite honestly, down to the Penny Sewell pick. Carolina very much valued that left tackle. He's off the board. And J.C. Horn was very high on their board. Sure enough, he comes off the board. So let's dive into that. J.C. Horn, the corner, the very physical long corner from South Carolina. What can you tell us about this kid and – how do you see him fitting into Phil Snow's defense? Well, Horn checks all the boxes. The only thing he needs to work on is the fact that he tended at times to be handsy and grabby uh, through receivers routes, which will obviously have to change in the league. But 
He's got size, length. He's physical. He's competitive. He gets in your face. He's long. Um, he's athletic. There's really not much not to like about J.C. Horn as you think about him transitioning to the league. Um, my sense is that he's a, a press man corner. Not that he couldn't play off, but I think overall what he does best, and I think it fits his mentality, John, is he's a press man corner. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that with a later pick in the draft, but it makes me wonder if they plan on making a bit of a transition from a team that played high percentage zone a year ago to a team that now feels that they have to play press more press man corner. And I think most people you talk to, and I'm talking about coaches, would tell you that at some point in this league, you have to have the ability to line up and play press man. And let's stick on that topic. I know we're jumping around draft picks, but Keith Taylor and yeah. J.C. Horn, uh, they were both, they played very, in college at least, they were press man corners. And I want to go back to, I'm not sure if you have much experience uh, watching Baylor in 2019, but um, you know Cody Alexander, who's been a guest on the show, he studies them very closely. He said that a lot of the, um, cover three invert that they did in, in, at Baylor was essentially a compressed man. They, they had their corners right at the line of scrimmage. Yep. And um, obviously I think people might've read a little bit too much into it that the, their zone team. I think that uh, the personnel last season dictated that they play a lot more sure. zone. Um, so with these two corners, and I know they did sign Boye as well, and they still have Dante Jackson on the roster. What does that kind of philosophical shift tell you about the direction they're heading in? Well, I think it tells you they are going to play more press. And I think, you know, I think there's a conversations probably going on in the league right now, Billy, as to what has become more important. You know, normally we would always say that to play great pass defense, you need pass rush and coverage. Obviously, that's not a profound statement. But the league has become much more of a quick drop league. There's more RPOs. There's more three-step drops. There's more shotgun in which a lot of that's quicker. The ball gets out. Um, there's more quick five-step pass games. So what happens is if you're not disrupting routes, you're not getting to the quarterback. I mean, obviously, when it's third and long, that's a different scenario. But I'm just talking about normal down and distance situations. So in normal down and distance situations, when the quarterback gets rid of the ball in 2.5 or less seconds, um, you really can't disrupt the quarterback. That becomes difficult. So what do you have to do? You have to disrupt routes. And if you're going to play off coverage, you're not disrupting routes. So whether it's press man or whether it's a zone concept where the corners are in press position, you can do that too, obviously. Um, but you need corners that have press ability, whether they're playing physical press and jamming a receiver, or whether it's what we call mirror match press man, where they're still playing press, they just get right in the hip pocket as the receiver declares his release. That's what Keith Taylor did a ton of at Washington with his great length. He played what we call mirror match press man. Fascinating stuff. Greg Cosell, ESPN joins us, NFL analyst, longtime host of ESPN NFL matchup, I believe. Uh, that was your brainchild, Greg, right? That show? We talked about this a while back. That was, uh, yeah, that was all you, man. Part, yeah, we, <laughs> well, I, you know, hey, nothing gets done just with one person, so I'm not oh, going to okay. take that credit. But, <laughs> but uh, we started that show in 1984, believe it or not. So yeah. it's uh, it's been on every year since in some form or another. 
Awesome stuff. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the rest of Carolina's draft. Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver, obviously was a name that surprised many, but with the Joe Brady connection, maybe not so much. Davian Nixon fell right into their lap. Uh, a very talented kid who Deontay Brown, a, a just a mauler of a guard, sort of a Gabe Jackson mm-hmm. type from Alabama. And then David Moore, an undrafted free agent from Grambling, who lost their season last year. He didn't get a chance to showcase. He hadn't played in 500 days. Talking about some of these names that Carolina's bringing in. Well, just before we move on to others, I just want to say one other thing about Keith Taylor, which fits into the fact that they also signed A.J. Boye. Because one thing Keith Taylor did in college, given that he's over 6'2", is he matched up very often to tight ends man-to-man when he was at Washington. So I don't know if they see that, the Panthers, that is, as something to, that they could do with him, you know, depending on the opponent. Um, but just I just wanted to mention that because that's something he did in college. Okay. Um, and there's been some big corners who've come out – Lonnie Johnson came out of um, Kentucky a few years ago as a big corner. And with the Houston Texans, he's, he's kind of become a guy who matches up to, to tight ends at times. So just something to keep in mind. I don't know. You know, you may know more about that guys than I do, but just, just something he did in college. Um, Terrence Marshall was one of my favorite receivers to watch actually. And um, again, I don't get into where guys get drafted, but I thought he was a first round type talent. And I think that um, he has the kind of talent that could ultimately make him a volume number one receiver. You're talking about a guy that has really good size. He can run. He's a vertical dimension. He has really good run after catch, so he can take it to the house. You saw that. And there is, a, as you mentioned, there's a Joe Brady connection, so he knows him well. So I really thought Terrace Marshall was a really good pick because he was, what, uh, pick 37, 38, somewhere around there? Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, like I said, you know, again, I don't, I, I'm not one who, who – does boards and and I don't do that. I just love the process of of sure. watching tape and, and transitioning and projecting players. But you know you're dealing with a long fluid receiver with with easy but at times sudden and explosive movement traits. So I really liked his college tape and I think he'll transition well to the NFL. Uh, and well, let's stick on. Go ahead, Billy. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, no. I, I was just going to ask. Um, I want to stick on. Marshall and Trumbull because uh, Trumbull, <laughs> yeah, there he was getting um, quite a bit of hype. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah said he reminded him of George Kittle coming out of Iowa. I don't know if that's totally accurate, but people have their opinions. And um, but there's been others who really seem to like um, the Notre Dame tight end. But uh, sticking to Marshall and Trumbull, how do you figure in that they fit within this Joe Brady offense as far as? Um, you know, their deployment, maybe. I know some people have thought about Marshall as a big slot, and that allows DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson to stay outside, or maybe you can bring them inside too. Um, so just talk about like the fits you see for within Brady's offense. Well, I think the league, Billy, has moved in a direction, and Brady will do this as well, where receivers line up pretty much everywhere. I think Marshall, he lined up at LSU both outside and in the slot. DJ Moore can line up outside and in the slot. Um, so Marshall, to me, because he has experience both as an outside and slot receiver, and he has experience lining up as the boundary X, the single receiver to the short side of the field. So, um, And he was used as a motion receiver, which is normally the Z receiver, the receiver that's off the ball. So he has experience doing all these things. So I think with Marshall, you can deploy him any way you see fit. And I think it, he allows you to expand what you do with the use of personnel and your formations. Um, Tremble's a fascinating guy. 
Um, Tremble is is a guy that I, I normally don't get excited watching tight ends when they block, but <laughs> Tremble is the kind of guy that I mean he'll melt he'll melt your face mask now. This kid loves to block, and and he's pretty athletic. You know, it's funny you mentioned George Kittle, who was a fourth round pick. Only caught, I think, 21, 22 balls, something like that, his final two years in college. Tremble was not used as a volume receiver in Notre Dame, but you could see when he runs routes that he has athletic ability, and I think there's much to unlock and unleash as a receiver with Tremble. My guess is he would start his career more as an H-back, almost a fullback type, Mm -hmm. um, because this kid can block now, and he gets after it pretty darn good. Um, like I said, he's fun to watch, but, but there's receiving traits to be developed with Tommy Tremble. And he's, you know, when I finished watching him, I thought to myself that there would be teams that could well see him as tight end two in this draft. Mm. You know, it's funny you mentioned that Greg, I talked to a scout uh, who's done work around the league for a while, right after the draft and they viewed him very much like you an H back, a fullback, and it's funny because Carolina got rid of their fullback, Alex Arma, a very good fullback, and that he's no longer with the team. They got rid of their best blocking tight end in Chris Manhurts. So Billy and I talked about this, you know, being a pick that not only could, could present some athleticism, but also a, just a dynamic blocker and a guy, like you oh. said, can melt your face mask. He is, he is fun to watch, and he brings some physicality. Joe Brady, as you know, has got that Sean Payton influence. He loves to run 21-22 personnel. You need somebody in front to do that lead block and that dirty work, and I think Tremble could step in and, uh, and do a little bit of that. You know, and it's funny you say that, John, because I think at the end of the day, too, I know it's Brady as the OC, but, but Matt Rule at his core wants to run the ball. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know, you, you probably heard him talk. I've read yeah. things about him. I know Matt a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, at his core, you know, he's not a guy who just wants to spread it around and, t- and throw it 45 times a game. Um, he wants to run the ball, you know, and obviously you, you hope you have a healthy McCaffrey. I think it's why they drafted Hubbard because I think they want to have a second back. Uh, you know, we know how great McCaffrey is. It's, you know, it's not as if he's going to, take him out of the game on a regular basis. But, you know, in an ideal world, you probably don't want McCaffrey getting, you know, 30 touches every single week because we have an extra game now. And, you know, you just, you know, you want him to be able to be at a high level, ideally week 13, 14, 15, you know, that at the stretch of the season where you hope you're, you're in a playoff race. So, you know, I think that's why they drafted Hubbard as well, but, um, and we'll get to that in a sec, but, but uh, no, I think that, they, they want to run the ball. And I think Tremble, you know, he's it's, – it, I'm glad you mentioned Armour because he's obviously gone. I, where did he sign? Armour's in New Orleans. You know, Tremble could kind of fill that role because Armour d- didn't just line up as an I-formation fullback. They right. lined him up as a wing tight end. At times mm-hmm. they lined him up on the line of scrimmage. Tremble, to me, could easily fill that role. Chuba Hubbard, speaking of, this is a running back that had great production in 2019. Uh, does a lot of things very well. I think he's a good screen game type of back, very decisive. I haven't looked at a lot of tape on Hubbard, but I've obviously watched him play on TV, uh, seen plenty of highlights. Uh, when you break down the tape on uh, Chuba Hubbard, what do you see for the Carolina Panthers? You know, it's funny. I watched him last summer. So I watched his 2019 tape, and then I watched him this year, and he, he just didn't look quite the same. And I never know what to make of that because I liked him when I watched him last summer. Now, obviously, he was coming off uh, – I believe a, uh, did he gain 2000 yards? Yeah. Uh, in, in 2019. And I, I kind of liked him. I mean, you know, I thought that, um, 
he was kind of a smooth finesse runner more than a strong, powerful runner, um, even though he's 210 pounds. Um, I thought in 2019, he showed quick feet. I thought he had some home run hitting burst and acceleration. I don't think those traits were really there that much in, in 2020. Now, again, it was a pandemic year. I don't know about the training. I don't know about his mind. I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, at his best, I think he's in a zone runner, predominantly outside zone. I think, like I said, at his best, he's got a desirable combination of patience and vision. He's a one cut downhill guy. Um, so, you know, he's got kind of a lean frame, but they're not drafting him to carry it 20 times a game. We know right. that they're right. drafting him to be the second back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if, if something yeah, should I happen mean, where that's the case, then there, there's not a good situation going on with the injury front, um, which, right, is plagued, right. which yep. has honestly plagued uh, Carolina for, for quite a while here. Billy, I think you had a question for uh, Greg here. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to. I have a follow-up then a question, but yeah, um, to get to your point about Hubbard, it looks like he was suffering um, from a couple ankle injuries too, because I also noticed the lack of explosiveness. If you go back to 2019, he was just, he was, I mean, that TCU game, he had like a 90 yard touchdown. He was out running. Yeah. No, Ladney, who's the corner in Minnesota and uh, our Darius Washington, um, the safety from TCU. So I I thought his explosiveness really just, it was there. Yeah. I mean, he just had kind of a darting slashing feel to his running. He never looked hurried, never looked rushed, but yet he, he had burst. So no, I thought his 2019 tape was really, really good. Um, you know, backs are tough. We, we know that backs, unless they're viewed as special, don't necessarily get drafted high. Um, you know, I would have been curious to see if Hubbard, if it was a normal year and Hubbard had a similar season in 2020 as he did in 2019, how he would have been seen because he was a volume back in college. Now, obviously, as I said, and we all know, Carolina is not drafting him to be a volume back, but he's got traits. Yeah, totally. Hey, Greg, I remember listening to you maybe four or five years ago and you, you were discussing – interior defensive lineman and the guy that really just jumped out to me when you were discussing him was Grady Jarrett and obviously we've ah, loved him yeah yeah we've we've seen we've seen him get drafted in the fifth round he kind of went under the radar a little bit and uh, I guess some people were concerned with the size and whatnot but I loved him coming out of Clemson too and you know another player who that the Panthers drafted um, Davion Nixon from Iowa uh, again your typical like three technique he goes under the radar I, I think there were a little off-field questions I'm not sure how um, accurate they are or whatnot, but when you watch him, like, what do you see, like, from his uh, tape? Well, let's put it aside, Billy, the off the field, because I don't get into that, and I don't know anything about it. So let's just go with the tape. You're dealing with a guy that's 313 pounds that has incredibly light feet. That's his thing. He's, he's almost plays the position like a running back and that's a positive and a negative and I guarantee that there were some old school defensive line coaches that looked at this kid and said yeah he's a great athlete but this kid's not really playing with a whole lot of physicality he's not playing with a whole lot of competitiveness and I don't like him because he's a great great athlete for 313 pounds incredibly light feet natural quickness penetrating ability but the thing about him is he played with almost no power and physicality, and at times, no real commitment to playing that way. So his athleticism will absolutely find a place in the league, and that's why he was drafted, but he needs to get stronger and to play stronger. So to me, that's one reason why he probably fell in the draft, because I imagine there might have been a lot of old school 
D-line coaches who said, I don't love this guy because he doesn't play with the needed power and physicality. But there were others who might say, yeah, but he's a great, great athlete and there's something there to work with. So to me, that's why he dropped because before the draft, there were a lot of people who thought he was a day two player and his athleticism suggests that, but his power and physicality suggests otherwise. Sam Darnold, we've talked about him. I've seen your analysis. I, I think you mentioned in Rich Eisen's show a few weeks ago, Sam needs, <laughs> yes. some, Sam needs some good, hard coaching. I love how you worded that. And it just does seem like, whether it's just a little bit of a focus issue, whether it's just processing, whether it's just comfort level in the pocket, the footwork. Talk to us about what Sam Darnold can do under Joe Brady, under quarterback coach Sean Ryan. Matt Rule, obviously, will coach them all up. What do you think needs to happen for Sam to, to move in a good trajectory here? And can it be done? And that's a great question because I think you can always coach lower body mechanics, which have been an issue with Sam since he came out of USC. But, you know, a, a good friend of mine, Merrill Hodge, always had a great saying. He said, coaches have all the power but no control. You can coach it, but does the player execute it in the heat of battle? And that's one area Sam has struggled in throughout his career is he has a tendency not to step to his throws. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a saying that you hear a lot of coaches, quarterback coaches, and I've been around many of them and talked to many of them, is you have to move your feet with your eyes. Mm -hmm. And very often he does not do that. So he ends up throwing across his body. And what that does is that leads to a, a decrease in both velocity and ball placement. And so when you look at a guy like Sam, big kid, athletic, good arm, and you think, wow, this kid's got all the traits, which, hey, he was a consensus number three pick coming out. It's not like the Jets reached for him. There were people who thought he'd go number one. So right. he has physical athletic traits. It's just that the, the execution of the, me the, the mechanics and the fundamentals of the position uh, are, are inconsistent and erratic. And I remember years ago, and I've never forgotten this conversation with Troy Aikman. And, of course, he was a master of mechanics. He was as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. And, and, and therefore he was so accurate. And he was, you know, he, was, he was a rarity in that he was a power thrower with phenomenal ball placement. Oh, but he said, to, he said to me, you could do everything right as a quarterback, but if you can't throw it where you want to, you have nothing. Totally true. Totally and, true. you know, I think that, you know, to me, and I, and look, guys, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've been doing this a long time, and I, I was – maybe the best part of my career has been that I got to know Bill Walsh pretty well and spent a lot of time with him. Mm -hmm. So when I evaluate a quarterback, I'm evaluating a quarterback to play to perfection. Now, do quarterbacks play to perfection on every snap? Of course not. But that's the way you're trying to get them to play, and that's the way you're coaching the position. So you do it right all the time. And I think with Sam, if you could get to that point, and that's an if, he's been in the league three years, that's an if. If you can get him more to that, then I think he can play at a much higher level and be a quality quarterback. Uh, we don't want to go down the hot take road here because we don't do that type of radio, and I know you don't either. But no, I don't do that. In your view, does Sam Darnold have enough to be as good, if not better, than what was available in that first round? Help me make sense, I guess, of what a team is getting in a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones. Well, I think the way to, to approach that is to look at it from the other side, from the Darnold side. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with a guy that's still a young kid. What is he, 23, 24 at most? Yeah, right. And 
was a consensus top five pick, top three pick the year he came out. Okay. Yes, we have three years of NFL tape. Um, we can debate forever. None of us, the three of us were not in the Jets building on the Jets practice field. So we can't speak to what happened. You know, I, I hate when coaches become whipping boys for people that don't know anything about what went on in the building. So yeah. I'm not going to sit here and discuss Adam Gase. That's not, that's irrelevant to me. And I, you know, I, I wasn't there. Um, so you're dealing with a quarterback who does have a lot of talent. Now, do we want to sit and debate whether he has more talent or less talent than Justin Fields? You're dealing with a quarterback that was a consensus top five pick. They feel they have their quarterback. This kid is, is a young kid. So they feel they have a really good offensive scheme. They, I'm sure they feel they have a really good OC in Joe Brady. They feel they have, and they know they have, a top two or three running back in the league. They've got a ton of weapons on the perimeter. The quarterback position based on what they've done and where Darnold is, to me, was not really a priority as the eighth pick in the draft, based on how they see it and what they've done. So, you know, you can debate that forever. And you know what? Maybe Justin Fields becomes a great player and maybe Sam Darnold doesn't. You know, everybody's a genius when they have access to the results. Um, you know, I'm a process guy. And, and, you know, when you're a process guy, sometimes you're going to be wrong once you get the results. Yep. It's like coaches, you know, yep. when they make a play call, you know, they don't know what the result is. They, they, they're pretty confident the result's going to be pretty good. But you know what? Hey, there's a lot of variables and there's a lot of variables here. So, no, I did not believe personally that they should have taken a quarterback at eight. Greg Cosell from NFL Films, from ESPN NFL Matchup, one of the legends in the business, been kind enough to carve out some time with us today. Last question, it's sort of a player-specific, two players in mind. Give us your read on not only Jeremy Chin's rookie season, playing so many positions in the secondary. Yeah. Free, playing in the slot, playing in the box, uh, strong safety, out wide at times. And then Brian Burns, who I think for, for the amount of snaps he got in his rookie season, made the most of it. And in year two, you know, he had a few injuries there, but still was highly productive, missed the Pro Bowl. But, you know, you know how those things are. <laughs> he was right up there with the best of best in terms of pressures and sacks and uh, impact plays. What, what do you think about those two guys uh, as they progress in their very exciting careers here? I love Chin. I love them coming out of college. You know, he – Guys like that get caught, and, and every team looks at that differently, John. You know, I've talked to scouts. There's, there's a lot of teams that, that will just knock, knock a guy down a peg just because of where he played because he didn't play in a Power 5 school, you know. Um, but I loved his college tape. I loved his versatility. Clearly, that's the way the Panthers saw him. They ended up being a big nickel defense. You know, uh, they played three safeties the, the large part of the time. I don't know what the percentage was, but I guarantee, I'm sure it was a high percentage. Mm -hmm. And he became, you know, a really versatile piece, which probably speaks to his intelligence as well, because that's hard to do. Just think of what happened with Isaiah Simmons with the Cardinals, a better athlete, bigger, better athlete than Chin, and they couldn't find a place for him. Yeah. You know, whereas Chin played... Like you said, I mean, I, I don't know how they categorize it within their defense, how Phil Snow categorizes it, but he probably played four or five different positions. Wouldn't you say that's fair? Uh, totally fair. I mean, the way yeah. I charted it, he was a linebacker. He played uh, box. He played, you know, the, the slot corner. He played uh, against deep safety receivers. as well. Played, yeah, played a lot of deep safety. You have to have a lot of uh, 
football intelligence, you know, what they like to now say FBI. I love all these terms now, you know, they do this in baseball all the time. You know, I'm a baseball guy from back in the day. And, you know, you've got all these terms now, exit velocity, you know, you know, I don't even know what these things mean, you know, but, uh, but no, I mean, you know, Chin's obviously a smart guy. I think he played like 98% of the snaps this season. So, so, I mean, you know, he had a terrific year, a terrific year. And Brian Burns, I remember watching him coming out of Florida State. I was actually watching him with a friend of mine from the Eagles. And we were just looking at the way this guy could bend and the way he could change direction. And, uh, you know, I think his best years are ahead of him. If he can just stay healthy. I mean, this kid's like Gumby. You know, I I really like Brian Burns. And, and, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys that, like, you know, writes a piece and goes, breakout players. I don't do that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think he's one of those guys that if he can stay healthy, I think he's got a chance to be a big-time edge player. Yeah, we agree. We think he's really special. And then Billy and I sort of speak in the same non-hyperbolic language you do. Uh, so we certainly appreciate that in all your analysis, Greg Cosell. Uh, he is the executive producer analyst for NFL Matchup on ESPN. Of course, he's a senior producer in NFL Films. For looks like over 40 years, Greg, you have been doing this for a minute, man. Yeah, I'm getting ready to start my 42nd season here at NFL Films. I'm, you know, and, and it's funny, I'm actually pretty excited because Peter King is a good friend of mine. And, you know, he takes about a month off from writing his column. So he actually asked me to write one of his columns this summer. I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that'll be awesome. Go to Greg Cosell on Twitter. Great stuff up on there, of course, uh, whenever there's an NFL matchup show with uh, Matt Bowen. We talked to Matt last week and uh, had a good time with him. And Greg, it's great to have you on the show, man. We love your work and uh, continued success. We'll talk to you down the road, man. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. All right, you too, man. Greg Cosell from ESPN's NFL Matchup joins us right here on Blue Wire. Billy, the schedule's out. It was always going to be a big deal because of all the teams that were on that schedule. You got Blood and Goods Part 2 with the Patriots and Sam Darnold's old teams coming to town, ironically enough, week one. Um, I don't know how you do schedule analysis, sir, but let's just start with your general thoughts on what this schedule looks like. Yeah, the best way that I really look at schedule analysis is uh, the first thing I look for is how many West Coast trips they have to make and right. um the schedule says there's only one and that's middle of the year at arizona mm-hmm. uh, which coincidentally they've played pretty well at that stadium in <laughs> in recent years they have. And, and the next thing i look for is when uh, how many like 1 p.m versus short weeks they have it looks like they only have one thursday night game um, and that comes pretty early in the season, week three. Again, they have to travel to Houston, so it's not too long of a flight. And uh, if, if we expect the Texans not to roll out Deshaun Watson, which <laughs> by all indications we shouldn't, uh, that should be a pretty favorable Thursday night matchup. But besides that, we knew the opponents. We knew the um, you know what they were, who they were going to face. Uh, I, I mean, cold weather, I guess you can look at. And the only cold weather game I really see here is at Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, everything else, I mean, they got pretty fortunate. They don't have to play Miami in the heat. Um, they play them in late November. Good point. Uh, and, you know, besides that, I don't really see anything. I mean, you know, too crazy. Um, it's pretty interesting here. They played Tampa um, two of the last three weeks of the season. I was going to say, you, so, you, draw the, little... you draw the world champs two of your last three games. Is this <laughs> – Part of the problem with being in their division, you're going to get some of that. But two out of three to end the season is a little rare. 
Um, yeah, I don't really have an issue with that. I'd, I'd rather play them. Who knows? Maybe they might not. They might be resting guys. Week it's a great 18. point. It's a great point. There could be some injuries. That you know, they, these um, teams that typically make a run, it's hard to sustain that. So I don't. You know, again, Tampa should be very good, but that's a tough schedule down the stretch. I, I want to break it down, kind of like quarter by quarter from the season with you just kind of give you a list of who they're playing the dates. And then we can talk about some of the key matchups there. So you're going to start week one, it's the 12th of September, 1 PM kickoff at home against the New York jets. Uh, Robert Salas debut. That's going to be fascinating. Zach Wilson. And of course, uh, Sam Darnold's old employer. And just the storylines are all over this schedule. New Orleans week two, you get the division kicked off early at home. What a chance for a statement win. I think Matt Rule even mentioned that last night in his presser. And in the last two games of the first quarter of the season, actually it's not really the first quarter of the season anymore. You used to break it down 4-4-4, but we'll still do it for this exercise here. You mentioned at Houston and then at Dallas. So you're going home-home, road-road, both in Texas. Um, I guess when you look at that, the toughest challenge would be New Orleans. But again, they have question marks. They're they're no Drew Brees. They're relying on – Taysom Hill, it might look like, maybe Jameis Winston. Um, what are your thoughts on the early part of that schedule in September? Yeah, I mean, that Dallas game is going to be tough, too. Anytime you go on the road, I, I never, I always qualify each road game as a difficult opponent. I don't care if it's Houston mm-hmm. or Tampa Bay. Um, so, yeah, th- that those two, it helps that the Houston game is at Thursday night, so they have a long rest uh, before they get prepared for Dallas. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – it, I mean, just looking at it on paper, it looks fine for now. But, again, so much of this is caveated by the fact that, I mean, we still have OTAs, minicamps, training camp, preseason, right. and who knows wh- what who knows? teams or what the Panthers have as far as uh, availability is concerned, um, you know, by week four. Uh, so, yeah, it looks – I don't know. The, the New Orleans and Dallas games are kind of stand out as two um, opponents that are going to be kind of tough. Um, but hey, I mean, we knew that going into the year. Absolutely. Now you're in a division where it's going to be tough. And the interconference schedule what was going to be a challenge, too, to that point. Uh, within the NFC, also playing the East, you got Philadelphia coming up. And who knows? They're not scheduled to be particularly good this year. Not a lot of people are high on them, but Philadelphia. Might end up presenting a challenge. I don't think it's a pretty winnable game if I'm looking at it. Uh, Minnesota. I mean, there's another Minnesota game on the schedule, Billy. It seems like every year Carolina's taking on Minnesota. This time it's at home. That's on the 17th. Uh, the and they Cal- have a lot of fans who travel. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I was at the game in 2017 where Andrew Sendejo's ankles were left behind. And <laughs> it was a, that was a fun game, a great atmosphere. A lot of, lot of Vikings fans. Uh, they go play Dave Gettleman's Giants, uh, another blood and guts game, <laughs> 24th. Uh, that's going to be 24th of October, 1 p.m. I love the 1 p.m. kickoffs. People hate it. People want the night games. I think the consistency of the 1 p.m. slate is nice, um, especially for a young team that's trying to learn how to win. And then you got Atlanta on Halloween. That's at Atlanta. And the 7th, you got New England, presumably Cam Newton coming back to town. I'll pump the brakes on that a little bit. Mac Jones could be starting. We never know. Don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, and then you mentioned that Arizona, that's their longest road trip. That's in uh, middle of uh, November, looks like. Again, playing Ron Rivera, the Washington football team on the 21st. That game is back in Charlotte. And right before the bye week, which falls on week 13, which I love, uh, they travel to Miami. So Miami, bye week. And then it really, if they're in a position where they're hovering around 500, Billy, 
which we hope they are at least a little bit above them. Man, those last five weeks are dynamic and they're not easy. Atlanta, still very talented, not is expected to be as good as usual. But still, oh, yeah, that's probably the easiest team going to Buffalo in that weather and that, that at, base. at Buffalo with a time to be determined, by the way. They still haven't announced the kickoff on that. So that could be a late afternoon kickoff, which would could be, be a great. Saturday game. Could be Saturday, right. Um, and then you get just the Tampa, New Orleans, Tampa sandwich. Sean Payton, I think you said this too. They're always going to be good with Sean Payton. Sean Payton's always going to have an opportunity to give his team a 10-win stretch here, no matter who's a quarterback because they have so much talent around that roster right now. Uh, but I, when I look at the schedule, Bill, I, mean, I guess I, we just have a hard time. I see some of the rankings, strength of schedule based on last year. To your point, we just don't know. Some of these teams, yeah. it's hard to forecast, especially versus maybe week one to week 10, how much of a variance there will be in terms of their health in key positions. I mean, look at Dallas last year with Dak healthy and Dak hurt. Um, I just think it's a cool schedule. I mean, just as a fan, looking at some of the matches you're playing, the Buffalo Bills and all the old friends from – from the old Carolina days of Brandon Bean, Eric Washington, McDermott, all half their players. <laughs> um, you know, to take on the world champs at the end of the year is pretty cool. Uh, but I think that Jets game week one is very gettable. I think it's like the Raiders game last year at home. That, that's one they should have won. Billy, you saw that last drive. Yeah, but, but I, I will say that Raiders team, um, that they were a lot more talented. And they – from where they were as a an organization – um, they were a lot further along. This Jets team is new coach, yeah. new rookie quarterback. They're rebuilding. Um, you know, Zach Wilson isn't Derek Carr. Derek Carr is far better than him. Um, so this is a game that Carolina should. If, if Carolina is not going to win this game, then that kind of tells you where what direction this season is going to go. Yeah, you, it's kind of time to start doing it. I mean, this is the thing. You know, we, we've had this conversation seven-year plan, whatever. I mean, obviously, that's not something they truly believe in because they're out there trying to trade for Matt Stafford. The season ends, and they're doing that. And then Deshaun Watson's in their plans, reportedly. Uh, yeah, like they're, they're trying to win some damn games now and get in the playoff hunt. Dave Tepper wants it. The fans obviously want it. Uh, Scott Fitterer and Matt Rule are, are, are running the show from that side now. Marty's out of the way, which I think is great. <laughs> I think it's just fantastic. Um, it was time, and I think this schedule is, is, you know, is what it is. If you get New Orleans week two, and you can, you can take care of them. It's been forever. It's been, goddamn five years since they've beaten the Saints at home in Charlotte. I mean, that's just – and you got to – look, Billy, you got to win in the division at some point. you got to start doing that. They've been ter- – I know they've had, you know, Cam's been hurt, and Kyle was in there for a while, and they haven't been highly competitive the last few years, but they even before that, they were not that great in the division. They've got to start doing better there because that's really – that's where you make your hay. You've you got to start winning these games against New Orleans once in a while. You've got to take, you know, Atlanta down, you know, in your own house. You've you got to be able to take on Tampa toe-to-toe. I thought they did a great job in some of those games last year with not a lot of experience. But, man, the importance of these division games, especially down the stretch, you can't overstate it. I agree. I'm with you. Uh, that really has to change if they want to go anywhere. There will be a preseason as well, by the way. Jermaine Carter uh, bro- broke that news to me when he tweeted out, oh, man, we're doing a preseason. I'm actually glad. I like, the, I like the preseason. I love the preseason. I missed it uh, last year. I don't know why everyone hates on it. I do hate that the fact that they always have to play the Steelers, though. That's, that's an old Jerry Richardson, Art Rooney thing. They need to cut that out. I hate it. 
No, it's um, like find some better opponents that actually like. Yeah. Well, it's nothing that nothing against Pittsburgh. I mean, I'm sure they have decent talent. It's just it's, like it's diversify like, your preseason talent so you get a better gauge of who you're evaluating at the end of the roster instead of those opponents keep consistently going against each other. It's literally the only time ever Carolina beats Pittsburgh. They never, <laughs> they haven't beaten Pittsburgh in a legitimate game since '96. So I guess it's just their way of burning off steam, maybe. Colts. Uh, Ravens, which is a good preseason two game, by the way. That's a, that's probably going to be the one now that gets the most sort of the you know, the old game three, sort of the starters would go half. Um, and then they wrap it up with the uh, Steelers. So a three-game preseason looks like. I don't know what your thoughts were on the entire Bridgewater comments. I really didn't have much. I, oh, I just, well, I'm, uh, I'm so sorry you asked. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I guess my only um, retort is that, you know, Matt Rule in his presser, last night he didn't really deny it yeah. um but he also really wasn't hoping to answer it looks like um, but i mean I, I don't really blame the journalist for asking they have a job to do and oh, cool. they asked and he kind of deflected away from it um but he said he'll be happy to answer those questions at practice and uh, i believe there is a rookie mini camp this week so unless he deflects again and says hey, well, he, only, he only wants to talk about the rookies then it is what it is but in my opinion i, I think that uh, I, I just think it's absurd that any NFL team wouldn't practice two minute in oh, red zone. No, it, it's unheard of that they would. I'm, that, that would... I'm very, very, very confident that they do. Um, so maybe it was just something um, that they didn't do it enough. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But that's well, just it's just right. you know, like it, this the whole thing about having to mention it on a you know, like I, I Teddy, I, I'm tired of talking about Teddy being a nice guy. We get it. He's a nice guy. Congratulations on being the nicest guy in the room. But he I've never seen a quarterback who, who was that coveted by a team and paid that contract over his value, trade it away, and, and, and then sort of throw some dirt, it sounded like. on He's kind of preaching down to Joe Brady a little bit. It felt a little disrespectful. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. Maybe I've just got a, sort of a, a frustration with Bridgewater from watching his tape and, and just not being my style of quarterback, and I'm biased there. I'm willing to admit that, that he was not my favorite signing. I was upset about the length of the contract. But to his point, if they're not drilling that home, if that's not a fundamental part of their install, red zone, two-minute stuff, what are you doing? I mean, it's just that's, – that's basic fundamental NFL 101 right there. Yeah, and unfortunately that stuff – go. you know, that, that podcast is hosted by two former players and yeah. actually – well, one's a current player – um, so that stuff's going to get out there. Players are going to hear about it. It puts Carolina kind of like in a bad position. So, yeah. uh, you know, from my standpoint, the only standpoint I have is, um, it, again, caveating, it does look like there will be OTAs and mini camps of the press. We'll get opportunities to ask different players that question. And I think that they um, will give uh, I, proper context to the situation. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just Ron, it, Ron did it a lot. Ron was huge when I went and covered his – practice camp red zone install was absolutely huge they did two minute installs um you know regularly but but the the red zone stuff was a critical situational component of what they worked on and you know it had some results during their heyday when when cam was a vital part of their their run pass option game down there with jonathan stewart with the weapons they had but there was a real emphasis with rivera and i had a source confirm this as well i got asked somebody who knows Carolina's, you know, sort of situation. And, and he said, yeah, you know, look, the way they run practices now, it's a, it's a little different, but they do it. They actually do it. It's just might be a little different. It might feel a little different, 
might be on a Saturday occasionally. Um, but I, hey, look, if the process works, great. I just, I've never, I don't know, man. That Bridgewater relationship was a weird one, dude. That's all I can say. One year, four wins, uh, a ton of mistakes, a few good throws, a lot of money spent that didn't need to be. And um, he's obviously, you know, just trying to justify something by saying that, it sounds like. I don't know why yeah, he would. kind of over it at this point. Like, I am too. Time, time for him to move on to Denver and quit, quit worrying. Time yeah, for I mean, us to move on. If he wants to say what he has to say, then fair enough. And I'll just leave it at that. I, I just think there's a little more to the story than what he's kind of saying. And hopefully of some of the there players is. on the roster of will course there bring is. that to light. Yeah, when DJ Moore would say something. Taylor Moten. God almighty. Yeah. I mean, obviously they've had guys leave. Alex Arma's left. Where are these guys opening their mouth saying, you know what? We just didn't do any red zone stuff, man. The the headline they got the headlines wrong. He 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 clarified what he meant. They did some red zone two minute install, but Twitter grabbed you know the first line of the comment and turned it into a you know Matt seeing that I'm sure and like oh shit I gotta deal with this. But hey look Billy to your point if he's not running that stuff uh, it's it's worth scrutinizing. Billy Marshall enjoyed it as always. Uh, special thanks to Greg Cosell from ESPN for joining us. Uh, great conversation about Carolina's draft. I'll be back with you next week with another fine edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire.